0: Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Thanks for joining us today on this episode. I have with me Paul Goodrich, who's the Regional Sales Director and Head of UK Sales for Arista Networks. Thank you. And then I have Richard Renardson, who's a Senior Consultant in the Extrovert team and resident expert in this area. Hi. Thank you for making time for us both, gentlemen. And let's get straight into it. So over to you, Paul, for those in our audience who don't already know who are Arista and what do you do?
1: Who is Arista? that's uh, an interesting question um so to answer very quickly we're a, a data center ethernet switching provider and we specialize in providing connectivity around 10 25 40 50 and 100 gig uh, the form factor associated with that is as you would expect small medium and large switching and our differentiation you know fundamentally is in our operating system an operating system which, you know, at the get-go provides good, solid, stable environment for switching Ethernet packets around. But more importantly, is uh, extensible, so it lends itself very much to the way that the industry is going around software-defined networking and the need for programmability. And the relationship between underlay technology is the Ethernet and overlay technology is these SDN controllers or whatever flavor of technology that is going to derive a service from the underlay which pertains to an SLA around the application.
0: Very good. We'll need to dig into some of those, I suspect. Um, so before we do, who are the key players in your space?
1: So typically the guys that we come up against, by far the most, is often friends over at Cisco, um, equally so the guys over at Juniper. But if you look at the way that the organization is evolving, historically that competitiveness was always around the requirement for Ethernet switching. With the way that the platform is evolving now, we're eating very aggressively into spend that would be seen as traditional routing spend. And with the advent of our DWDM technology, we're again going after a functional requirement that would perhaps be seen as something that would be provided by some of the more traditional CNN of this world, et etc. Um, don't forget though I might caveat that that, that it's, you know, it's very much an evolving market, and those guys, definitely the CNN and uh, you know, the infaneras of this world, are providing you know, a deeper depth of functionality beyond where we are at this moment in time.
0: Okay, and so you've touched on a couple of things. Um, what is software driven? Networking and why is it important, and and how is that evolving for infrastructure managers?
1: So I think if you look at the way that the the markets evolve, you know, it kind of went through, uh, you know, it's gone through a bit of a cleansing process, really. Which, you know, five years ago, you know, the craze was around, well, probably less than five years ago, three three years ago, around virtualization. The reality was, virtualization is now getting the traction and maturity in the marketplace. And the question now is, is where can we take this further? You know, how can we evolve this further forward? So the way I like to conceptualize it is we're moving towards the x86 mainframe. The notion now that I have to have virtual machines or physical machines there, 7x24, 365, dedicated to an application is no longer both sustainable and, and necessary. And I think... You know the way that software-defined networking is moving towards or what software-defined networking is allowing you to do is to optimize your real estate in the same way 20, 25, 30 years ago and probably still to this day, mainframe operators were running batches or workloads and optimizing the compute power against the requirement to perform that function during the day. So the availability of technology today allows you to move towards that. So software-defined networking is purely around ensuring that the overlay technology, this optimization of the underlying resources is, is coupled to that resource, and hence our differentiation in the marketplace.
0: Right. Okay. Thank you. Maybe I can just jump to you for a moment, Richard, in terms of what you're seeing with clients. Is that what you're seeing as driving them to, to look at software defined?
2: My sort of experience around this area is is really geared purely towards VMware and for vSphere at the moment. And the key use cases that we're really seeing are all around automation. So um, the two key use cases probably are, are kind of security and automation, but it seems like the largest kind of take up is amongst companies that want to sort of roll out like a self-service um, cloud type platform and um, it's not acceptable to have statically provisioned networks behind the scenes so that they're, they're looking to leverage, um, you know, sort of this API-driven platform that can provide um, virtualized networking and security functions for their applications.
0: Right, understood. And so I guess perhaps we can jump back to you, Paul, and and would you like to tell us a little bit for the folks at home about how you're working in with VMware NSX?
1: Yeah, sure. So if you look at EOS as a a platform, as a product, it's highly programmable. So, what we've been able to do is, and what we 've continually done through the evolution of the of the platform itself is we've continued to publish an awful lot of metadata in terms of the biometrics of the switch. so if you're an overlay technology and you want to understand the resource pool that's available to you this this publishing of data becomes you know instrumental in allowing you to drive those efficiencies. Um, in achieving the the overlay functionality that you're looking for. So in in essence, what what we've done is evolved that further just from from a switch level and moved it more into a fabric level and with the abstraction of all this metadata into a single pane of glass called Cloud Vision. And what Cloud Vision allows is NSX-V to go to a central point and review the resource, the utilization, and efficiencies associated with whatever action is required at that given moment in time, be it provisioning, be it consistency in provisioning, be it the attributes associated with virtual instances. At the point of provisioning, all of those attributes are driven down f- through ESX, through into the switch, and you know, and the policies associated with each one of those virtual machines is defined at a switch port. So in, a, in, a, in essence, what we're doing is, is translating all of that rich embedded functionality that is required at a, per, at a virtual machine basis and complementing that from a port perspective within a physical switch and, of course, mapping to the virtual switches that sit within each instance on each host.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. So when I'm looking at the, the capabilities of Arista um, as a network yeah. infrastructure manager, am I investing in hardware? Um, or what is now held in software, and and how does that play into a virtual appliance?
1: I mean, you're you're investing in both. Um, so what we bring to the table from a hardware perspective is the the ability to provide deterministic scale. Um, the software piece of it is it is what couples that hardware into the overlay technology. So yeah, as an infrastructure manager, what you, decision you're trying to make is is that if i'm trying to move to richard's point to this you know self-automating very deterministic very predictable scale-out cloud type infrastructure is my underlay technology consistent with that and am i optimizing that underlay technology to facilitate the business agility that i'm trying to get through my overlay technology Um, so what i would say to any infrastructure manager is yeah, you're, you're never getting, going to get the full nutritional value out of your overlay unless your underlay complements it and dovetails into it as, as extensively as, for example, we do. Um, or more importantly, is you know, is, is complementary of the feature richness of V you know, being a good example. So I think with all these things, it's a blended mix of both. Both software and hardware are tightly coupled, and therefore to achieve true SDN and, and really optimize the overlay technology the underlay provider needs to ensure that the capacity and facets of the technology are truly represented and complement
0: the overlay. Okay, and so what sort of benefits at a high level are you seeing clients realize from going into this overlay-underlay coupling?
1: Well, scale and time to market, really, and consistency. So what we've been able to achieve as an underlay technology is phenomenal scale, deterministic scale, so the ability to provide a more functional platform where you're deriving more functionality and performance out of the servers, the ability to optimize both legacy and more uh, leading edge uh, storage initiatives with quicker time to market through provisioning capabilities and the ability to optimize the IP underlay in a more effective way for achieving business function that would otherwise have brought networks to the floor, typically backups, et cetera, which are always you know kind of bandwidth Intensive and bandwidth hungry and and typically impaired, you know, day-to-day or, you know Regular regular operations um, because it consumes massive amount of resource So again with that coupling with NSX fee What we're able to do is manage the ebbs and flows of resource utilization and resource requirements while still maintaining that high level of end-user Experience and serviceability.
0: Thank you. So in terms of the types of businesses and the types of verticals you're seeing move in this direction is it across the board or are you seeing certain verticals lead the way?
1: I think everyone's talking about it without question. The global finance guys are seeing it as they move towards more DevOps and VDI, again, is a strong driver. So the ability to spin up VDI virtual instances is is, is becoming a more pressing need because of the operational efficiency savings associated with that. We're seeing it in the gaming market. We're equally seeing it in some of the media markets. Uh, it, it's coming. I don't think it's dominant in one sector, but I think it is boiling away in every sector and it's becoming more and more prevalent and dominant. And the efficiencies associated with it are becoming more recognized.
0: Mm. Okay. And and in terms of your experience, what are the downsides that you've seen for for clients that, that go through the process of moving in this direction?
1: I don't think there's any downside associated with it. In fact, I think the only time there is ever a downside is really just enlightening people that they can achieve greater efficiencies and those efficiencies means that times are changing you know i can't think of any downsides out there this is an environment where you know change drives balance sheet savings And, and it makes the the it department more responsive to the end user requirements you know what would have previously involved five or six or 10 steps in providing user accessibility or user um, uh, availability is now within the reams of a few clicks away where a fully automated, fully available virtual machine is now functioning with an application where all the prerequisite rules around firewalls, prerequisite rules around 437 load balancing, are all established through that initiations process. And therefore, time to market is significantly quicker. And it has a replicability associated with it. You You can just keep on repeating this time and time again, consistently. And the ability to manage and control against every aspect of just general go-to-market business, everything from denial of service attacks to effects of viruses within your network, the ability to you know, uniformly contain and restrict and manage, the power at your fingertips is phenomenal. And Therefore, where would there be a downside? In, in, in the majority of cases as well it's it's taking away an awful lot of complexity mm. which again you know is showing itself in savings and efficiency and in user experience
0: mm. would you agree richard is that what you've observed
2: I think I've yet to experience the whole completely integrated solution whereby um you know we're we're tuning both the underlay and the overlay i mean it's been quite a sort of static underlay type configuration I've worked with so far but I see. You know, I see this as the as the future, basically, where we're tying things into that level, sort of. So everything is is completely software driven. It's scalable, ramps up and up and down on demand, and everything is is neatly integrated via APIs. And I think this is what people want.
0: Very good. Okay. So back to you then, Paul. And so I'm sitting here. I'm considering implementing network virtualization. What questions do I need to be asking? And what needs to be on my checklist and my planning process?
1: Well, I think first and foremost is what are you trying to achieve and how are you going to be measured against achieving it? Without question, we always need to focus on the application and the application's dependencies. If you look at the way that applications are evolving now, it's not just about one server around one, one instance. It's around a collection of servers. It's around an interaction between servers as the application scales and evolves. So I think first and foremost is understand your application, understand your application flows, and plan accordingly. Without question, if you're going to buy the latest and greatest, make sure that you're fully optimized from a server perspective in terms of you know, you're able to fully utilize memory and processor capabilities. Without question, look at the evolving market from 10 gig to 25 gig to 50 gig to 100 gig. Look at the economics, the lifecycle management of your of your service, and, and look at the corresponding I.O. component tree given the investment you're making in memory and the investment you're making in processor. And then once you've made those, those business decisions, look at the right switch vendor. And I would obviously suggest, being that I run Arista UK, is that Arista is hugely differentiated in terms of its ability to achieve the performance and scale of these virtualized fabrics as they grow and move forward, and and ensure that that application availability and serviceability is there. So I think for me, in summary, just make sure you understand the application and choose your componentry so it's consistent with the with the deliverables and the SLAs associated with the application. Be very focused on the detail around every aspect of your go-to-market. You know, relying on IP to fix congestion problems. Is not the way forward. Build the right compute, build the right I/O componentry into that compute, and marry that with the right density and, and performance necessary from an IP fabric perspective to facilitate, you know, consistent deterministic scale. Also, be cognizant of the overlay functionality, and again, you know, reflect back on the ability to drive change from a, from the switch uh, within the switch and the participation and relationship between the overlay and the underlay. And again, you know, one would argue it definitely from a risk perspective that we provide the most compelling solution in that value stack in that we are fully harmonized with every aspect and, and obviously uh, very focused on enabling the, the, the application itself.
0: Brilliant. So in that context, you mentioned a couple of areas that sound like common mistakes. Um, what, what common mistakes do you see clients making and what things should people be Looking to avoid intensive pitfalls.
1: I don't think customers like being told they've made mistakes. I don't think anyone makes mistakes. I just think that what happens is the decision that you made yesterday is perhaps not consistent with some of the decisions you need to make tomorrow. So I think one of the things that we've definitely seen is is where these virtual real estates grow organically, um, and then we see kind of VM sprawl, um, and then in in achieving a degree of functionality from this virtualized cloud, its efficiencies decline, and primarily because you have this tromboning of data across the fabric where you don't get the adjacencies of in, you know, application instances. So there is this huge migration of, of data east to west where realistically that you know, should be co-located and managed within each rack or within within the host itself. So I think for me, it's VM sprawl is by far the Biggest issue that people have faced with, and therefore that impacts them from a scalability perspective. It impacts them from a an end user experience point of view. You know, it goes back to that point I made earlier: if you if you go into this with eyes wide open and understand the prerequisite requirements of the application, you're marrying the application to a fully optimized compute resource, and hence storage resource as well, with an I/O that enables you to gain the efficiencies, higher consolidation ratios while maintaining the same SLA. If you become diligent around where your virtual instances are located, then without question, you maintain a healthy and efficient cloud environment where you're fully optimizing the assets. If you don't do that, you will definitely see VM sprawl. And in CNET VM sprawl, you you are walking into a whole heap of inefficiencies that at some time, whether today or tomorrow or the next week, will impact your users' The serviceability of it, the SLAs you're offering. And anyway, to put that into context, one of the other values that we're seeing outside the SDN controller is third-party apps like VM Turbo, where VM Turbo is managing that VM sprawl in a far more efficient way, and is again taking the metadata out of our out of our switches, as represented in Cloud Vision, and helping optimise the consolidation and efficiencies of data flows around you know our underlay, our IP fabric.
0: Right, so you're effectively seeing the platform present up at the software layer the information yeah. that applications are able to use to manage it better. Yeah.
1: For me, yeah, there are two things that you can't hear in a data center which are basically being shouted out on a regular basis, and that's servers going, I'm bored, because fundamentally they're not being driven hard enough. What proves to be the case time and time again is that the server guys are continually looking at the best performance per pound or per dollar that you can possibly get, you know, be it multi-chord, more memory than you can stick at. Yet fundamentally with a 10 gig interface, you'll never get the consolidation ratios that you should get out of that bar box because you're I.O. constrained. And the other thing that you always hear is the Ethernet switch, um, and I, I might add on. Our competitors' Ethernet switches going out, uh, IP can fix the problem, IP can fix the problem. And in essence, what's happening there is you're getting NCAST issues, you're getting oversubscription of the port. And what the port's doing is nothing other than it's designed to do, which I've got more bandwidth coming in than I have going out. I'm oversubscribed, therefore I will rely on IP to fix the problem. And that provides huge issues moving forward and huge issues when you're trying to achieve scale. Because in that situation, should be you know, strong advocates of, of, of buffering. That's, again, one of our huge differentiations in that leaf-spine architecture. You know, Let's simplify the Ethernet fabric. Let's make that fabric consistent of two components, spine and a leaf. And let's have the characteristic of the spine such that it, it maintains and optimizes the data flows across the, the spine, the backbone of the data center. And let's have the leaves... You know, optimize the performance, the full performance and capability of the server.
0: All right. Thank you. Richard, what um, questions come to mind as you're listening to, to Paul explaining the, the concepts?
2: I don't really have any questions around what Paul's said so far because it all makes perfect sense to me. The, the other stuff that I had that I was sort of interested in was really just, I watched the, um, I think it's the same webinar around the container um, networking and Docker advances. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I mean, sort of the, the idea that basically you can you can run a Docker engine on, on the, the EOS platform, is that correct? And basically you yes. can be running these sort of, some of these microservices, some of these network monitoring tools and stuff like this sort of actually on, on your switches. Yeah. And I believe in addition to that, obviously it's it's a new space for a lot of people, but the, the container networking, as the advances are made in that across the board, you have some kind of technology whereby you can trace a container to a switch yeah. port and, and this kind of thing. So, yeah. That, that sounds you know extremely powerful to me so so I joined Arista in two
1: thousand and nine and in I'm thinking probably the back end of two thousand and ten we introduced this concept called vm tracer, and that was really taking virtual instances where you were looking at the all of the attributes really needed to be, needed to be represented as physical instances so what vm tracer was allowing us to do was to translate where virtual machines were on a per port level and therefore from a fault finding perspective and just from an awareness perspective we were able to link virtual and physical together so we were able to represent virtual machines with, with respect as to where they sat in the network from a physical port perspective, a physical switch perspective and obviously mapping that out Therefore, the the Supply chain in terms of bandwidth and links associated with dealing with that you know that that specific virtual instance. So that's great from a VMware perspective. Clearly, where do we go from there? And, and we have basically taken the concept and evolved it further to encompass the you know the, the Docker requirement. From a legacy perspective, you know, virtual machines we're doing exactly the same now. From a Docker perspective,
0: really impressive.
1: I mean, I think one of the things you, you know, you'll see from Arista is is where it makes sense. We do it, and therefore, if you look at the the ethos of the organization is simplify, simplify simplify NMR and around transparency you know the company itself is very transparent we know what we do really well and we know what we don't do and therefore when you sit down with it I hope and, and I've seen it time and time again is the customer understands exactly where we can help them and w- what we can achieve and why we can achieve it and we work very much on empirical data what we have consistently stepped away from is Hocus Pocus. We have a very open architecture. We respond very well to people that know exactly what they're trying to achieve. And therefore we're in a position then to tell them how we can help them, or for that matter, why we can't help them. But needless to say, it's it's this transparency and this ability to interpret the way that the market is going has proven to be our success through this open API architecture, through this open adoption of standards. But let's not also not forget is, at the end of the day, the switch needs to do what it needs to do as an Ethernet switch. So first and foremost, what we're out there selling is Ethernet switches. What we're also capable of having tomorrow is the conversation as to how, as you evolve your Ethernet platform, to be a more contributing component to your end-user experience and the application through overlay technologies, we're able to have that conversation with you as well. But the rule of thumb is simplification, take complexity out, And again, that adherence to standards.
0: Very good. How do you see the future heading? And I mean, you've you've touched on a couple of trends there.
1: Well, I think for us it's the universal spine. It's the ability to take um, a single common form factor platform and have that provide wide area PWDM function for you, wide area uh, MPLS and IP function for you, and local area, data center, L2, L3 function within within the data center, that universal spine that simplifies all aspects of data center connectivity, inter-data center connectivity, intercontinental, inter-country connectivity, that globalization of data center resource through a single binary image, single operating system, across a single user interface with the abstraction of data into a single pane of glass and with the ability to evolve and morph as the market evolves. Long may NSX be a dominant provider of overlay technology in this marketplace. But equally say there are some other equally powerful um, software houses out there that may well equally take as dominant a position in the marketplace or, or, or again, even bigger position therefore, what our customers have always accepted is, is that as this market evolves and innovation does what innovation does, that they will always be in a position to take advantage and optimize that technology through Arista and its, and its approach and its openness and its programmability.
0: Thank you. And Richard, just in closing, what do you see the future holding and what motivations do you see clients needing to have filled?
2: It's kind of a culmination of all this stuff. I think things are quite new. I mean, the uh, so I've been working in this space, I guess, now for a couple of years, and and after sort of an initial burst, it's I think after some of the bigger companies, we're now sort of seeing smaller companies dip into this, but with a bit more of a cautious approach, and and they're sort of they're taking these things on, but they are quite a rapid departure from um, what they're used to. So I think really what what I see happening is that the, the integration of some of these traditional kind of networking functions moving into the software stack in time, you know, whether it's people utilizing overlays or kind of virtualized uh, firewalls and for security and this kind of stuff, and gradually moving more of that, that stuff into the software layer. And again, sort of for, for the, the purpose of, of providing, um, you know, more optimized um, traffic flows in the data center for providing automation capabilities. And then sort of in addition to that, sort of to the point where we have this fully unified stack where we're... The programming, the, um, the switches, we're programming the overlay. You know, we're, we're deploying the applications, um, and all this kind of stuff is 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 repeatable. It's programmatically provisioned, and um, you know, less room for error, less room for configuration drift, and all this type of stuff. So uh, that's where I see it going: the kind of the, the sort of end-to-end software-defined stack across both the, the hardware and the applications.
0: Thank you. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up, Paul? My, my closing
1: thought is like all these things. You only get out what you put in. And you know, where we have seen tremendous success is where everyone has looked at the full value stack and reviewed every element of that stack and its contribution and efficiencies in achieving the end goal. And where those considerations have been taken and made, it has been truly transformational in the extent of you know, replicability, consistent determinism, et cetera, um, it really has put people back in their seats. You know, and the closing comment is, we wish we'd done this sooner.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. Where can folks find out more about you and about Arista?
1: So from an Arista, obviously, yeah, www.arista.com, uh, the website has more data than you can point to stick at. Uh, Thankfully, we have the foresight to characterize it. So there's some great input in there from product perspective, solutions perspective. Uh, EOS Central is a great place to go and explore where we look at uh, Arista's involvement from a more programmable perspective, its relationship with the overlay uh, um, functions, be it SDN, be it macro segmentation, micro segmentation, all aspects of maintaining data flow and protecting data flow within the data center, within inter-data centers, and obviously from a a global perspective. So first and foremost, please visit the website. Obviously my profile, I'm I'm listed on LinkedIn, by all means happy to talk to anyone, and I have a very focused team that is both territory focused and vertically focused that we can put at customers disposal to work with them within the context of uh, their cloud and data center requirements.
0: Very good. Gentlemen, thank you both for your time and uh, talk to you next time. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Arista Networks and EOS. Software platform for network programmability. EOS provides you the ability to automate your network, reducing operational costs, and improving responsiveness for managing workloads and workflows.